He is the host of the Locked On SEC podcast. He's Chris Gordy, and he's kind enough to join us here on today's program. Chris, the time is greatly appreciated. How are you today, sir? Harson Watch. Is that what we're on, fellas? <laughs> always, 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 always. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, look, for two straight weeks in a row, I mean, you guys, you know, Auburn plays a close game. They win the game against Missouri that they, that they uh, you know, probably shouldn't have, and then lose the close one to LSU that they probably should have. So, uh, you know, look, they're still playing hard, playing close, and if they lose a close game to Georgia this weekend, I think maybe you might come away a little bit pleased, uh, albeit, you know, with another loss. But, uh, man, when I saw that line with 30 points, I was like, man, is this is this still a rivalry game? Good thing. Yeah, and Auburn hasn't won there since 2005. It's really tough to uh, to find a way to win there in Athens, uh, as Tiger fans are well aware of. But this just kind of feels inevitable, right? Even for somebody from the outside looking in uh, with the podcast and the show that you've got, Chris, it just kind of feels like a change is coming at some point here for Auburn, right? Yeah, I mean, at SEC Media Days, everybody asked me, you know, who's on the hot seat? Is there a coach that could get fired? And, and the two people I said was Eli Drinkwitz and and Brian Harson and uh, man, look no further than that game two weeks ago and how ugly it was. I'm like, who wants to get fired more? I mean, it's like, you know, just terrible effort on both sides. But, um, no, I mean, it, it reminds me, guys, a lot of, you know, when, when things started spiraling for Fred Ogeron. I mean, when he goes to, you know, two years ago, they go and lose that opener at UCLA. And really, everybody kind of started saying, okay, well, you know, is he even the right guy here? Should we make a move? And then it was really later in that season when they lose to Kentucky, uh, get blown out at Kentucky. That's when a lot of the big money people kind of said, all right, that's it. We, we can't do this anymore. They end up making the announcement that they fired him. Now he's still finished coaching the year. But, um, you know, you, you kind of knew at that point. And it feels that way with Harson. Like, everything that happened this offseason, was he able to save his job, you know, uh, salvage the offseason and regroup? Yes. But – Ask anybody how much faith they had in Brian Harson when the season started. I think, uh, you know, maybe some of the true blue, diehard Auburn fans said, yeah, I think he's the right guy. I think he's going to turn this thing around. But I think if most people were being realistic with themselves, I think a lot of them kind of thought, okay, this probably is not going to go very well. And if things start to go sideways, you know, we'll make a change. But uh, really, the, the move with Alan Green, when that went down, it was kind of like, all right, yeah, this is uh, the writing is on the wall here. There, there's going to be a new athletic director. And when that new athletic director comes in, it's going to be, all right, you, you make your coaching hire and, uh, and go find the best person for the job. And, you know, I hate to be a, a hater on Harson, but when you look around this conference, guys, and you see Brian Kelly, one of the most winningest coaches of all time, Nick Saban, uh, you know, go, go coach by coach, Jimbo Fisher, just guys who have skins on the wall. You know, which one of these things is not like the other? It, it was Brian Harson. He just didn't fit in. So, um, look, I'm not saying you got to go get a guy that has Auburn ties or even a guy that has SEC ties, but you got to go get a name. Auburn, Auburn's too good of a program and too big of a program to be settling for the Boise State coach. You know, I, I kind of thought that when they hired him in the in the first place. So, um, look, they're, they're going to have a lot of a lot of resources, a lot of money to go make uh, to go make a good hire. But I also think this guy's, you know, with the way that that Eli Drinkwitz has, has coached the last two weeks, I mean, really should have beaten Georgia last week. Uh, if he keeps coaching like this, I think we could get through this entire season where Auburn is the only open job in the SEC. And, and why does that matter? I mean, it, it means you have, you know, you're not competing with anybody else, really, for getting a big-name coach. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Florida State. It sounds like they're good with Norvell. 
Uh, obviously, Nebraska's open, and there'll be a few other jobs that open, but I think there's a chance Auburn is is one of, if not the most sexiest job openings out there if and when the Brian Co- Brian Harson uh, you know, firing happens. So I, I think that bodes well for Auburn is, is what I'm trying to say. Chris, speaking of those other SEC head coaches, what in the world is going on in College Station, Texas right now? And talk a little bit about uh, Jim, the, the trials of Jimbo Fisher happening right now. Yeah, well, they are deficient at the all-important position of quarterback. I mean, that's that's the realistic uh, answer to their team. I mean, they got a good running back at A-chain. They got some pretty good young receivers. They lost to Nye Smith for the season, but you got Evan Stewart as a freshman who's coming on. Uh, got some other pieces. I think the old line is okay. They're not great. Defense is pretty good. A lot of big five stars in that recruiting class playing along that defensive line. I think linebackers are decent. Secondary is okay. You're just missing, missing a star quarterback. And that falls at the feet of Jimbo. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, we can beat our chest and say, man, we got the number one recruiting class. But, yeah, where's your quarterback? Where's your Bryce Young? Where's your Stetson Bennett? Where's your, you know, whoever who's going to help lead you to an undefeated season or a championship? So, um yeah, it's it's only going to get worse from here. I've talked with some A&M fans who have said, you know, maybe they should just go ahead and start the big uh, five-star quarterback that got uh, uh, the, in the recruiting class this past year, Connor Wegman. You know, they were thinking we're going to redshirt him. We got Haynes King. We got Max Johnson. Well, now, you know, Haynes King has looked terrible, and Max Johnson apparently has a broken hand, and he's going to miss several weeks, if not the rest of the season. So I almost wonder if you're Jimbo, just throw Wegman out there and let him go through his growing pains, because here's the thing, guys. If he if he gets through these growing pains, throws his picks, you know, works through his problems here, he might be your guy next year and for the foreseeable future. That might be your your, your quarterback that you need for a moving forward. So I think ultimately what's going to happen, guys, and, and, and there's going to be more losses on the season for A&M, they're still recruiting at a high level. I mean, just, week, just a week ago, there was a big four-star, five-star kid, a D lineman that everybody was expecting him to announce for Oklahoma. He sits up there and puts on an A&M hat. I'm like, how in the world is A&M still getting these recruits? And I think we know why. NIL is a big part of this. But in other words, they're not slowing down. They're bringing in four-star, five-star recruits still. So I think Jimbo's got to, at the end of the season, is going to have to relieve himself of of play-calling duties. He's going to have to go out there and go get one of the big-name offensive coordinators out there. You know, kind of like Nick Saban did years ago when he was setting in his ways. Uh, you know, he resigned his fact to the – himself to the fact that the spread offenses were taken over and went and got uh, Lane Kiffin. So I think Jimbo Fisher is going to have to do the same thing. And if you believe what, you know, Paul Feinbaum was saying the other day that the A&M fan base would not be, you know, they would not hesitate if they had to pay that $95 million buyout. I just think that's absolutely ludicrous. But, you know, it's crazier things have happened. When somebody has a lot of money and they, have, and they don't mind setting that money on fire, it, they're very dangerous because they're they're not afraid of anything. So that'll be something worth watching. But I think at the end of the day, Jimbo stays there. I think he's going to have to make some big, big changes to how he runs things, particularly giving up the play calling duties. Chris, I want to bring it back to you know, the upcoming matchup this weekend, Auburn versus Georgia, the Deep South's oldest rivalry. I want to look over on the other side of things because we're very familiar with the Auburn situation in this area. So looking at the Georgia situation, why did they come out Why did it? Did they come out on fire against that Oregon team and uh, against South Carolina? And then this past couple weeks, they've really fallen off against Kent State and uh, against Missouri. Yeah, I don't know if they were maybe reading their press clippings and – you know, I think uh, Peter Burns came out and, and made a comment and said they were the, the most talented team in the, uh, you know, might be the, the most talented team in the history of college football. And 
you know, they were getting a lot of pats on the back. I mean, I even had Stetson Bennett among my Heisman favorites. So I was like, the way this kid's playing. And then, you know, we saw these last two weeks is having to, have to overcome adversity. They've had a lot of injuries. Um, you know, the offense is kind of bogged down. The run game has not been consistent. You know, think of this, guys. Like, a Kirby Smart offense is built around a run game. And as a team, they're running well. But I think they're leading, you know, they're, they're leading Russia. I want to say maybe it's Kendall Milton at 13th in the SEC. Like, when's the last time that happened? That Georgia didn't have a top 10 rusher in the SEC at this point in the season. Stetson Bennett has not thrown for a ton of touchdowns on the year. I think he's only got like five touchdown passes. I want to say that's even behind like Jaden Daniels and a few other, uh, you know, middle of the pack SEC quarterbacks. So, um, the offense is bogged down and, Defense, you know, that it sounds like Jalen Carter's going to miss a couple weeks. He was supposed to be that big piece to step in on the D line and end up being a top 10 draft pick. Uh, Small Munden has been banged up. There's been just so many pieces of this defense where they just have guys in and out of the lineup. Um, that said, you're undefeated. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not all bad. Uh, just keep winning. But yeah, if I had to talk myself into, hey, give me reasons why maybe Auburn can keep this thing close or closer than the experts expect. You know, those are those are just some of the things I would look at. And, you know, particularly, you know, with, with, with Auburn, uh, I would say, you know, Tank Bigsby had a little rushing success on them last year. Maybe he can find the end zone again this year. And, uh, you know, maybe Robbie Ashford keeps that defense off balance with his running ability. But uh, those are the little things I would look at to say maybe Auburn has a, a glimpse of a, of a chance of keeping this one close. Taking a look at a team that's a little bit north of Athens now. Tennessee coming off a bye week. They're about to enter a very, very crucial stretch. They got at LSU this weekend. Then you're going out and then you got an Alabama team coming up. And then in a couple weeks, you get that test against Georgia and Athens. What what are your thoughts on Tennessee season so far? And what what is their best chances to to get one of these upsets here? Yeah, I always look at these 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 East versus West matchups. They're always fun. But they don't mean a heck of a lot. And by that, I mean Tennessee can lose this game and still play for the, the SEC championship. You know, I mean, like if you – as long as you're – if you're in the East and you beat all the East teams, you're good. If you're in the West and you beat all the West teams, you're good. The crossover matchups, as fun as they are, um, you know, LSU's had years where they lost to Florida but still played for a championship. Um, you know, it, it, these things kind of happen. So I don't want to downplay the game. It is a big game, and it's going to be a fun, fun game to see – Tennessee versus LSU. In fact, by, if we're just going by point spreads, guys, it's the SEC game of the week. It's the closest point spread of any SEC game being played this weekend. Uh, I think the Vols are still around a three-point road favorite. Uh, LSU has announced it's a sellout. Despite it being an 11 a.m. game, I know they'd love to have a night game at Death Valley, but it's a sellout. Uh, those fan, that fan base will be up at 5 a.m. making their Bloody Marys and mimosas, and they'll be hammered at 10 come, come noon anyway. So uh, I expect it to be a hostile, rocking environment. It's strength on strength and it's weakness on weakness. LSU's strength the past few weeks has been their defense. They shut out Auburn in the second half one week ago. They held, uh, you know, they held uh, Mississippi State and Will Rogers to 214 yards passing. Matt House has done a really good job with this LSU defense. Uh, Hendon Hooker has not seen a defense like this just yet this season. So that'll be a good on good and then bad on bad. LSU's offense has not been good. You know, they've struggled to get going. They scored three half three first-half points against Florida State. They scored seven first-half points against Mississippi State. And as you guys know, a week ago, they only had seven first-half points before they put together that two-minute drive to make, you know, to put up 14 at halftime. But LSU's offense has been really slow out of the gate. Uh, Tennessee's biggest weakness is their defense. So 
you know, I saw Monday Jaden Daniels at LSU called a players-only meeting with the receivers. And normally, guys, when you hear players-only meeting, it's because your team stinks and you're going <laughs> nowhere. And you, you know, it really happens with a team that's four and low, four and one, and coming off a big win on the road at Auburn. So uh, I think that's a good thing. I think Jaden Daniels and Brian Kelly are looking at it saying, look, 80 yards passing is unacceptable. You know, this is a kid who threw for 300 yards in a ton of games at Arizona State. Outdueled Justin Herbert a couple years ago when he was a freshman at, at Arizona State. So. I think uh, I think they're looking at this saying, look, Tennessee's weakness is that secondary in this defense. We need to get the passing game going this week with Kayshawn Booty and, and all the other pieces, Malik Neighbors, all these weapons they have. And if they can do that and they find themselves in a shootout with Tennessee, well, I think the balls might be in trouble. Uh, big number to watch in this game, guys, the two quarterbacks who have not thrown a turnover yet or, or an interception this year, Jaden Daniels and Hendon Hooker. I think that changes this weekend. I think one of those guys turns the ball over through the air, and I think the one who doesn't make the mistakes wins this game. And right now I think it's still Tennessee close, but uh, let's see what LSU's offense looks like. If they can get the, the passing game going more consistently this week, would not shock me if LSU pulls off the upset. It's Chris Gordy joining us here. He's the host of Locked on SEC. So uh, let's circle back to Auburn before we let you get out of here, Chris. And we spoke after the first game of the year for Auburn. So now we've got four more games worth of evidence. Talked about the quarterback position all season long. And now it's Robbie Ashford who's running the show for this Auburn football team. What have your been thoughts of uh, Auburn's number nine out there on the football field? Well, I, I don't want I don't want Auburn fans to be lulled into some kind of comfort. I've heard a couple people make the comment, well, look, we lost the game, but at least we know we have our quarterback now. It's Ashford. Um, <laughs> Robbie, and, and look, I don't want to take away from Robbie. He's, he's done some good things. But also, I went back and listened to Brian Kelly's coaching show last Thursday, and all I heard him talk about was Robbie Ashford's running ability. Man, this kid's going to run. We got we to gotta stop the run. That's our M.O. And what happened was in that first half, and you guys saw it, LSU safeties got frozen. Their eyes were on Robbie Ashford. They were so worried about the run. They were coming up, and that's how Auburn's receivers and tight ends got past the secondary. It was a lot of blown coverages because of that. And the second half, they adjusted, and they did a good job of, of slowing down Ashford. He couldn't really get much going uh, with his running game. But I don't think George is going to make those same mistakes this week. So, uh, it, you know, look, it was a great passing day for Robbie Ashford, but I would not be banking on him throwing for 300-plus yards this week. I think Georgia's secondary is, is much better than LSU's, and they'll make those adjustments. But that said, you do have a foundation and a, and a true dual-threat quarterback, a kid that has, you know, uh, the threat to run and the threat to throw. I just keep going back to guys. Tank Bigsby's got to have I, – I like, I, I know it's crazy to say, but, like, if I asked you before the season, I ask you right now, who's Auburn's best offensive weapon? I think we'd all mostly agree it's Tank Bigsby. The kid needs 20 touches a game. I don't care how he gets it. Uh, I would almost argue 20 carries a game. 12 carries for Tank Bigsby. And I know Jarquez Hunter's got his um, you know abilities and all that. But I need Tank Bigsby to get 20 touches, if not 20 carries a game. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if it's you know if he's only averaging three yards a carry. Keep giving that kid the ball. He is your best offensive weapon. I, I don't want it to be years from now. Tank Bigsby is leading the NFL in rushing. And we're looking back and going, man, did they underutilize this kid at Auburn? Like, I don't want that. Give this kid the opportunity. Give him the ball. Um, you know, don't be predictable now. Don't just give it to him up the gut. Man, why is he getting stuff? Get him out in space. Do some zone read. Whatever you got to do. But I just think Tank Bigsby's too damn talented to only be getting 12 carries in a game. 
Couldn't agree more with that. Again, Chris Gordy's here with us on the program. I got to know as we uh, as we wind this conversation down, is there a chance you think we could be heading for a rematch between uh, the Braves and Astros now that the postseason is upon us, Chris? It, it sets up that well. I mean, look, uh, the, winning over the Mets was was the biggest thing. I can't under understate it. Uh, you know what they were able to do down the backstretch of the season. So. Yeah, it, it sets up very well for that. Obviously, the Dodgers are the one that you're going to have to get past again, and, and they're absolutely loaded. And you know, for the Astros, they got to beat the Yankees, who they already beat during the regular season and have pretty much owned in the postseason the last five years. So, yeah, I would say there's a pretty good chance, guys. If you guys can, if the Braves can get past the Dodgers, um, I think very well there's a very good chance we could end up seeing Braves Astros again in a rematch. But what's different this time, guys? Astros have Justin Verlander, who's probably about to win the Cy Young. And they got Lance McCullers, who got hurt in the ALCS last year. So having those two guys around may be a little bit different this time around in the World Series. Yeah, no kidding about that. Chris, thanks so much for the time. As always, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you, my friend. Anytime, guys.